It's January, 2011. A group of Kenyan tribal elders is gathered in a Bedouin-style tent in the North African desert. The guest of honor is also their host, Colonel Muammar Gaddafi. He was Libya's self-styled revolutionary leader who ruled with an iron fist for more than 40 years. The tribal leaders aren't just here to honor him. They're here to anoint him. They gather round and start to dance in a circle. They are clothed in traditional dress, brightly colored cloth, animal skins, some wear elaborate headdresses. Gaddafi is seated in the middle, in simple robes and a Russian-style hat. His eyes are barely open. Suddenly, a gold crown appears. It's time for his coronation. With every tribe represented here, the elders crowned Muammar Gaddafi the king of Africa. Bizarrely, the man who places the crown on Gaddafi's head is not a tribesman or an elder. He's a Kenyan-born businessman of Indian descent named Kamlesh Patni. Here he is from a Kenyan TV report from that day. The elders, you know, are respected. Patney is wearing a green robe and a kofia, a brimless circular hat popular in East Africa. It's all embroidered with gold. And perhaps that's not surprising, because gold is what Patney is famous for. His gold mafia nearly bankrupted his country once. And our undercover reporting shows he's up to his old tricks again. This is Al Jazeera Investigates. I'm Kevin Hurton. Welcome to Gold Mafia, Episode 2, The Kingmaker. When we last left you, our undercover reporters were talking to convicted Zimbabwean gold smuggler Ewan McMillan. Our undercover team is posing as representatives of wealthy Hong Kong criminals who want to launder their ill-gotten millions through the gold trade. McMillan enthusiastically offered his services, but admitted that he has a competitor. I'm one of two, I told you. I'm not the biggest. I'm number two in gold. Who's the number one? He's a Kenyan, bloody Kenyan. Enter Kamlesh Patney. He's a bit of a legend. I want to bring in my iUnit colleague, Alexander James, a lead investigator on this story, to help fill in some of the details. So, Alex, he almost bankrupted Kenya. Then he resurfaces years later to place a golden crown on Gaddafi's head? I mean, who is this guy? He's infamous. Patney is this international figure who straddles Africa. A day doesn't go by where his name isn't mentioned in the Kenyan press. And two firms associated with businessman Kamlesh Patney 
is an incredibly successful global business figure. He owns an extensive business portfolio of hotels, motor dealerships, duty-free shops in airports across the world. He carves out a role for himself as a Kenyan politician, as a pastor, uh, a a Christian preacher. Um, He calls himself Pastor Paul, and virtually every other sentence is punctuated with a thanks be to God. Glory be to God for that, yes. Yeah, I think uh, maybe God has a plan, so yeah, glory be to God for that. And Alex, what about that moment with Gaddafi? What is he doing crowning him king of Africa? He's a showman, first and foremost. He created this role for himself as an African Union peace ambassador, where he represents local tribal elders. And he wears this fantastic gold and dark green robe and a hat adorned with gold. As the peace ambassador, Patney made connections across Africa. And it helped him when he relocated to Zimbabwe. After Gaddafi's death, the story goes that he then went to Zimbabwe and gave this cape to Robert Mugabe, essentially handing him the mantle of Africa's next king. We learn from Ewan McMillan that Patney is the number one gold buyer in Zimbabwe. So the team reaches out to Patney, never really expecting to hear back. We always thought it was a long shot getting to Kamalesh Patney. We thought he was someone who was surely so cautious and clever that he would never entertain the prospect of of a meeting. But he did. We met him first in London, where we uh, understood he was spending more and more time and invited him to a, a hotel for a meeting. And he arrived very late, almost two hours late. How are you? Oh, so good to finally see you. Good to you. meet you. He's decked uh, head to toe in expensively branded clothes. Patney sits down on a couch wearing a designer jumper, as Alex calls it. I would call it a designer sweatshirt. This is our prime. Mm-hmm. Already there is a deal going on with this. He slings his arm carefree over the top of the couch and talks in general terms about his business, his success. I think the key moment of the meeting was when he finally understood the funds uh, to be laundered were substantial and that there was a, a, a way for him to make a lot of money here. Is it 100 million? Is it 50 million? Is it 10 million? Is it 20 million? Is it it's more, more than 100. Okay. I don't know how you came to me, but uh, yeah, glory be to God for that. And at that moment, they started to bond and he extended an invite to our undercovers to visit his operation in Dubai. After a few meetings, it becomes clear. He's offering a slightly more sophisticated version of the deal Macmillan proposed. The money will go to Zimbabwe. Then it will go to Zimbabwe. It will be converted into gold. And come, come back. Yeah, fine. Then, with all the certificate. Yes, this is now uh, legitimate money. Legitimate. Patney knows this scheme well because, in a way, he invented it. He gained worldwide notoriety for his role in the famous Goldenberg scandal in Kenya. Back then, in the early 1990s, Kenya faced an embargo from international donors. 
The country suffered, like Zimbabwe today, under Western sanctions. Patney, then a young businessman, offered his services to the country's president, Arup Moy. I became advisor to the president, Moy. So then he gave, uh, you know, exclusivity from 89 to 94. We could not pay for the fuel. And then I used to pay through export of gold. Then uh, by 1994, August, the Reserve Central Bank had $2 billion surplus. He's talking about his role in what became one of the biggest heists in Kenyan history, which is known today as the Goldenberg scandal. Patney's company, Goldenberg International, pocketed millions by smuggling gold from Congo, re-exporting it, while charging a whopping 35% commission. It is likely no Kenya-mined gold was ever exported. Sound familiar? Well, it all went belly up in 2002, when Arup Moy, who was constitutionally barred from running for re-election, finally left office after 24 years in power. A new government came in and found millions of dollars missing. At the end, Kenya is estimated to have lost an equivalent of 10% of its GDP to the scheme. Patney and his associates in government are thought to have pocketed $600 million. The public outcry was enormous. Patney appeared in court on fraud charges, but they didn't stick. It's just going to enrage me. I know this. Lakshmi Kumar, policy director at Global Financial Integrity. She's an expert in anti-corruption and the global gold trade. The Kenyan courts went after him for nearly 13 years. He was acquitted of all charges. And after the expose that followed, 23 senior judges resigned. Patney got acquitted in 2013, and he converted to Christianity. This new version of Kamlesh Patney claims to have faith in God but he's always had faith in gold. He moved to Zimbabwe to then reinvent himself, found new religion, started his own church. And the thought that, you know, he's once again, not just doing another money laundering operation, but he's going with, you know, the tried and tested gold. Just like the Goldenberg scandal in Kenya, the gold operation Patney is running in Zimbabwe is simultaneously enriching himself and doing great harm to the country. His rival, the convicted gold smuggler Ewan McMillan, can't believe he's able to get away with it. Now he comes to Zimbabwe called Pastor Paul. Praise the Lord. Praise Praise God. You're just a thief, my friend. The Goldberg scandal. He almost put Kenya into liquidation. That's how big he is. I mean, Kamblish Patni is a... Criminal mastermind is the only word to describe him. What he did had devastating consequences for the Kenyan economy. And so to see him continue to go scot-free and indulge in another scheme is, is, um, is distressing. Here's how Karen Greenaway, former supervisory special agent of the FBI's International Corruption Unit, reacted after viewing our evidence on Patney. Pastor Paul should be investigated for evading U.S. sanctions and go to jail. 
<laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> but it, it means that he's established a network and has credibility, and uh, and that he, you know, has obviously done this for other people. Um, but that is a crime that you can be prosecuted for. And it gets worse because. Patney isn't being entirely honest with us about what exactly he plans to do with our dirty money from Hong Kong. And we'll tell you about that after a quick break. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click away from the latest update. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, host of The Take by Al Jazeera, an international news podcast. Three times a week, we bring you the context and the people behind global stories that matter. Subscribe today. In addition to laundering money through the gold trade, our investigation discovers that Kamlesh Patney is running a parallel scam that could be devastating for the Zimbabwean people and its economy. Once again, my colleague Alexander James. It's almost like a Russian doll of scams, isn't it? So in first case, this pretty convoluted way of exporting exists to move that gold into the international arena. Now, this presents a perfect closed loop, which allows dirty money to flow in because Patney and Macmillan can control every step of the gold sourcing, but also the gold exports and the flow of the money back into the country. So then, in a final insult, right? Uh, In a final kick in the teeth. They're not even going to use the money. Exactly. So finally, we learned that Patney's guys aren't actually bringing in money at all. In fact, the money that they do bring in, it's just window dressing because the money is staying in Dubai. Incredibly, he's found a way to launder our money through the Zimbabwean gold trade without actually using it to buy gold or bring much-needed hard currency from the sale of gold back to Zimbabwe. And here's how he does it. Among his many, many businesses, Patney has a foreign exchange counter in the international airport in Zimbabwe. It's a place where people can theoretically change their money when they arrive. Here's Patney describing the business to our undercover team. The business is called Sahara. Sahara. I think I see this in uh, the airport in uh, Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you have that uh, near, near the uh, duty free. Yes. Yes, yes. yes I yeah. You saw it, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. This is just your license to deal in for, uh, exchange, foreign exchange. Yes. But we've interviewed people who work at his foreign exchange business. They say it's all just a front. Basically, Sahara Forex has been taken to just cover up the money laundering and other issues. There's a stand there, but nothing's operational. We're calling this man Sammy. 
His words are read by an actor to protect his identity. He describes the operation. It works because Patney's men bribe customs officials at the airport. They'll just pass through immigration and they'll receive their bags. If you are carrying large amounts of cash, you need to declare it on arrival. Patney's couriers are meant to bring back millions of dollars from gold they've sold in Dubai. And we'll say to them, okay, this is the cash. We need to declare two million and the forms are ready. Sometimes we're filling in the forms. And if you control the airport, like Patney does, they make sure that everyone at the airport is paid up as they should be. They forge the documents with the assistance of the customs officials there. They say, okay, so just open the bag from the top and show one or two notes. And then they'll say, okay, fine. They'll stamp and we'll sign it and you can take it. And it appears to all intents and purposes that they have come into the country with the dollar because they have the proof in the signed customs form. So he's going to a lot of trouble to make it look like he's bringing millions of dollars from his gold sales in Dubai. But why would he want to fake this? Doesn't he need that money? After all, he's required to bring all the proceeds of the sale back to Zimbabwe and put 40% in his bank account. That's why he has this sweetheart deal in the first place, to bring foreign money back into Zimbabwe. Well, the I-Unit talked to another man who worked for Patney, who wound up solving this one last mystery for us. Actually, they're not bringing anything, so they collect from the local market. Did you hear that? He said they collect from the local market. So what does he mean by that? Okay, quick story. I was talking to a friend in Zimbabwe, and I asked her what she would do if she ever had to leave the country in a hurry. What would happen to her money? It's an important question because Zimbabwe has exchange controls. You can't just move your money out of the country. The cash-strapped government simply won't allow it. So my friend said she would call some guys in Harare, the capital. Everyone knows these guys. You send them your savings, and they give you access to the money in a new bank account in a place like Dubai. In Zimbabwe, there is a strict banking system. You can't move money out of the country through the banking system. So Kamlesh Patni is the banking system for these things. He collects USD dollars from the market. He takes this cash to Dubai. This is Patney's great side hustle. He's running a black market money transfer system, and it's this money, collected from everyday people in Zimbabwe, that he uses to buy gold. When he sells that gold in Dubai, he pays the proceeds into the overseas accounts of his clients. And there's so much demand for these services that he doesn't need to bring our dirty money into the country at all. He leaves it in the accounts of Zimbabweans in Dubai. And he doesn't do it for free. Patney charges a 10% commission for his service. All right, so what's the big deal? It sounds like he's providing a needed service. And to be fair, he is, but he also might be destroying the economy in the process. My colleague, Alexander James. So these guys exist to bring US dollars into the country, but they're not doing that. They are defrauding the country of US dollars because they're helping, actually helping Zimbabweans offshore that money. It's actually quite a betrayal 
because while the government is paying Patney handsomely to bring money into Zimbabwe, he's working behind the scenes to move money out. So of all the scams we've exposed, this might be the most damaging yet for Zimbabwe. Because it's only going to lead to more hardship, more shortages, and more people sleeping outside the banks that won't hand over their money, like we heard from in episode one. You could come here and you could go home without anything. And you could come here maybe around 4 a.m., then you go back, have nothing. Three days it is. We spent three days, let's just say three nights. We come and sleep out here. Maybe tomorrow I'll withdraw a little money. Financially, Patney is sucking the country dry. There's a flow of wealth that is dripping out of Zimbabwe and it's landing in bank accounts in Dubai and, uh, and the country is getting poorer and poorer and poorer. So these guys who are being incentivized by the Zimbabwean government to fix the currency shortages are actually being paid to make it worse. Uh, yeah, Patney's a thief. There's, there's no two ways about it, that's what he's doing. They are literally stealing money from the country. Kamlesh Patney told us that no allegation of criminal wrongdoing had been upheld against him in Kenya. He denied involvement in any kind of money laundering or sanctions busting, as well as employing anyone to smuggle cash or offering to deal with funds he knew originated from illegal sources. When he met with our undercover team, he thought he was meeting with an investor who wanted to sell a stake in a hotel business in China and invest in gold and mining in Zimbabwe. We also put our findings to Ewan McMillan, but he did not respond to our inquiries. Next time on Al Jazeera Investigates. It's one of the biggest money laundering operations in Africa, and it all starts with a simple pack of South African cigarettes. Do you have any others this cheap? This is it? Okay. Remington Gold, 20 Rand. Thank you. The Gold Mafia spills the beans on how they move millions in illegal profits. You used to make up a fraudulent invoice every day. We're talking about big money and even bigger personalities. Nickname Mo Dollars. That's a name that he's very proud of, Mo Dollars. He's sort of held up as this sort of shadowy figure that controlled money laundering in South Africa. This episode was written and produced by me, Kevin Hurton, with help from Amy Walters. Alexander James and Sarah Yeo are the lead investigators of this series. Craig Pennington is our sound designer. Clean Cuts does the final sound mix. Eric Samothrakis composed our snazzy new theme song. Peter Charlie is the show's executive producer. And Phil Reese is Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. We will see you next time. Listener.